Pesachim uh, da 48. We are go, starting off with an uh, interesting discussion, uh, discussion trying to correlate two different subjects that we've already seen. The first one is the Mishnah that we're discussing. If you have, uh, you're baking masa on Pesach, on Yom Tov itself, and the, the problem is that the dough is tameh. So that means you have to bring challah that you're going to give to the Kohen, but it is tameh, so no, the Kohen can't eat it. You can't eat it either because it's challah. And now you have to, um, uh, if you leave it out, it's going to become hametz. That's not good. And you can't put it in the oven because you can't, uh, no one can eat it. So you can't cook something that you can't eat. So this was the puzzle we had before. And there are three, um, uh, three possibilities uh, for a solution. Bieliezer says, uh, bake them all, assuming that I could eat, I could eat any, any one of them. And uh, since any, each and every one, I could say, I, I, I was going to eat that one. So then that's fine. I bake them all as food. And then only afterwards, um, after they're baked, do I separate it. And Ben Betara said, just put them all in cold water. It won't leaven in cold water. Not, not put the challah, separate challah from the dough, put in cold water. And Rabbi Yeshua says, separate challah as dough and put it on the counter and let it leaven. No, but no, no one cares. It's not your problem because lo and this belongs to the Kohen. It's, it's, um, it's uh, Kodesh and it doesn't belong to you. So you don't have to worry about it. Good. That was a three way machloket. Now we saw a second uh, machloket between Rabban and Rabchista. These are the first ones are Tanaim. These are now Amoraim. And they say uh, the principle of Ho'il. Rabba says we do apply the principle that potential is like actual. And therefore I'm allowed to cook on Yom Tov, even though I'm not going to eat. And there's no way I'm going to eat and what I'm cooking because maybe guests will come. And since potentially guests could come, and then I would have it ready for them. Even if they don't come, that's okay. And therefore, I'm allowed to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbat. And if I cook from Yom Tov to Chol, will not be not get lashes. That's Rabbah. Rav Chista, however, does not apply the principle of Ho'il. So now we're going to try to do Rami Bar Chama, who's a third generation Amora, is going to try to correlate one and A, a three and B. Uh, since it'd be, uh, the Ezra says, Ho'il, since you could uh, eventually separate one of them, any one of them right now is not necessarily the one that's challah. So as I'm putting in the oven, this might be the one I'm going to eat. This could be the one I'm going to eat. So you see, he has some kind of concept of potentials like actual. So maybe he would agree with Rabbah. He's earlier, but maybe he would agree with the principle. The Yoshua perhaps would agree with Rav Chista because he says, you don't say Ho'il. That's why you need a different solution. So that's what he's going to try to do, correlate 1A and 3B. Then we're going to see um, a fifth generation discussion that uh, will reject that and say, no, not necessarily. They can each uh, follow any opinion. And then uh, we're going to go backwards to a fourth generation Amoraic discussion um, about what would each respond to each other. Rabbi Mia accepts Rabbi Barchama's statement, Rabbi Zara rejects it, and we'll see why. Okay, so this is going to be very interesting. third generation It's just so happens that this Amoraic Machloket lines up perfectly with the Tanaitic Machloket. And we can explain now why each of these Tanaim uh, provide the strategy that they do. said, um, you put it in the oven first. Um, uh, assuming that eat this one I might eat and that might not be challah, so I could put them all in the oven with that principle in mind. And Rabbi Yoshua says, I cannot use that, um, that uh, principle, and therefore 
um, it's, uh, it would not be, uh, therefore he has to find a different solution, which is just to simply to leave it out. Um, okay, Amadav Papa. Uh, Papa rejects this. No, Vedilma ad kan laka amadabi eli aizer hatam, damrinan ho il, ela de beridana de ka aile le tanura, kol hadabe hada, hazia le le dide. It says, no, Rabbi Eliezer would only apply some concept of ho'il. In general, he would not apply it. Only in the case of the hala would he apply ho'il, since as he's putting each one in the oven, each one he can say, I'm going to eat this one, I'm going to eat that one. So it's totally in his power to actually decide to eat any particular one of them. So since he could do that for each and every one, so he can put the whole batch in the oven. Aval hacha de hu de haze, de de la haze. But in the case of cooking on Yom Tov, since all of them would be for the guests, he already ate, so he's not hungry, so he's not going to eat any of this. Uh, so therefore, it's more of a stretch to say, oh, since guests can come, I can cook all of this, right? It's like um, in, the, in the case of challah, most of it is, is going to be kosher. Just, you know, one, one, one piece is going to be one that I have to apply or eels. Well, since I, this could be. Whereas if, with the cooking for the guests, it's almost the whole batch that I have to use this principle. It's a bigger stretch. So um, not necessarily, really, as it might actually agree with Rav Chista. Okay. And the other way also doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. Amadav Shesha, Rav Idi, Lohi, Adkan Lo Hatam, Lo Eladiga Hada, Perhaps Rabbi Yoshua would not um, uh, <clears throat> um, would not apply ho'il in the case of the of the um, of the of the cooking for guests. Because sorry, in case of challah, he does not apply ho'il in the case. Of, in general, he would apply uh, a ho'il. In this case, he doesn't because there is definitely one loaf that cannot be eaten by anybody. Um, right, not, not for anyone. But in the case of cooking on Yom Tov, could be lots of guests will come and they will actually finish off all the food. So since um, in the case of Yom Tov, it's possible the Ho'il does encompass every single possibility that it can account for. So maybe he would actually agree with Rabah. But in the case of Chala, since this for sure one item that is not is going to be uneaten and not allowed to eat, and I'm putting it in the oven, I'm definitely violating cooking on Yom Tov. Okay, so um, that's a way to uh, to think of it the opposite way. All right, that was, these were fourth generation Amoraim, um, but sorry, these were fifth generation, Papa's fifth generation Amoraim, and now we're actually gonna go backwards. So the uh, the following doesn't necessarily know of the rejection. Amaru harabanan kamet So the rabbis presented the Rami Barhama statement from the third, third generation to these fourth generation Amoraim. And Rabbi Yirmiya said, oh, that's fantastic. I like how it lines up one and A, right? Uh, three and B, those line up. They're arguing on the same concept, ho'il or not ho'il. Rabbi Zera lo kibela. Rabbi Zera did not accept it. Amad Rabbi Yirmiya Rabbi Zera miletate kashyalan ve'atya kama shene bemai peligi Rabbi Eliezer ve'Rabbi Yoshua. This is amazing thing. He said, why, why aren't you accepting this? This is a, something that has been, we've been uh, struggling with for years. 
we have no solution. We can't explain why does Rebbe why do Rebbe Eliezer and Rebbe Yeshua disagree? Why does one say you should uh, you should put it in the oven and one say you leave it out? We could and finally now this great Rabbi Rami Bar Chama comes and gives us an explanation. Why should we not accept it? Okay, um, good. This is no. How can the Bizera answers? How can I accept it? Look what I have. We have another Baraita. The Tanena. Amale Rebbe Yeshua. Lidvarecha, Rabbi Yeshua, who said to leave it out, right? He says, according to you, Lidvarecha, according to you, Lidvarecha, who says, just put it in the oven and separate it later, I am violating doing melacha because I would, I'm actually cooking on Yom Tov. One piece of this is not going to be eaten. And so, Veshatekle, and Rabbi Eliezer had no answer. But if he had the principle of Ha'il, then you should have said, oh, I have an answer to you. It's not cooking because I can say, potentially I could eat this one, potentially I could eat that one. And therefore um, I potentially could eat each and every one of them individually. And therefore it's allowed. So you see that since um, Rabbi Yosh, Rabbi Eliez, in, in this Baraita, Rabbi Eliezer does not provide an answer and he does not provide the answer of Ho'il. That means he didn't know about Ho'il. That's why I cannot accept it. It's not found. If he knew it, if he that was his thought, he would have been found in the Tanetic statement. All right, Rabbi Yemiah says, Amar Lev il ta'amich had tanena babadaita, Amar lo Rabbi Eliezer lidvarecha reo ober mishum bal yereo bal yemaseve shatikle. Says, wait, but the other side, he also doesn't have an, an answer, right? According to you, right, look at how when Rabbi uh, Eliezer challenges Rabbi Yoshua and says, wait a second, how can you separate dough and just leave it on the counter? Then aren't you violating and and uh, Rabbi Yoshua was quiet. He had no answer. So can, are you going to say that he didn't have an answer? But we know he did have an answer. The Braita does not record an answer, but our Mishnah does record the answer. Rabbi Yoshua says, this is not what we mean by that only applies to your chametz that you own. But if it's owned by Ananju, if it's owned by Gaboa, it's owned by the Beta Mikdash, and you gave it away to Kohen, you gave it away as you designated as Chala, it's not yours anymore, and you don't violate. So you see, even though in the Baraita he didn't answer, in the Mishnah, the Yoshua did give a response. So just because there's no response in the Baraita doesn't mean he didn't have a response, just means that the Baraita did not um, did not record it. Ella. You're right, in the Baraita he was quiet, but he answered it in the Mishnah, right? We don't have to record everything in every place. So here, so too here. You're right, he didn't, there's no there's no response in our Mishnah, there's no response of Rabbi Eliezer in, uh, in the Baraita either, but maybe there's some other place uh, that he recorded that, and maybe in that place he in fact said, Ho'il, and that's... Um, and he would have an answer. So that for that reason, Rabbi Irmiya um, uh, accepted the the uh, the um, principle and the the um, uh, application of Rami Bar Chama. And he said, yes, we can line this up. It work, works nicely. Rabbi Eliezer says Ho'il, just like Rabbah. Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua does not say Ho'il, just like Rav Chista. But Rabbi Zera rejects it. Okay. Um, so that ends that discussion. Just one more point about this. I find it astounding that they say that we've been discussing this for years and we have no idea what the answer is. I um, uh, uh, hinted to this um, 
uh, last class, but actually I now remembering I recorded a whole class just on Pesach that I'll send you, I'll put the link in the, uh, in the chat um, regarding this machloket, that um, Rabbi Yitzchak Gilat, He's uh, a, a, a very, very important professor of uh, history of halacha. He wrote an article about this, about chametz, and uh, proved from many sources that the ancient halacha, uh, which is represented here by Rabbi uh, Eliezer, is that you have to get rid of chametz totally, whether you own it or don't own it, right? Yeah, and, and in biblical times, you'd get rid of all chametz in the entire land, no matter where it was, it would be like a national ban, uh, banned substance. Uh, and so Rabbi Eliezer disagrees with Rabbi Yoshua's reading uh, of the Pasuk. And so he says, right, lo el lecha, Rabbi Yoshua says, only if it belongs to you, that is a, um, that's only Rabbi Yoshua. The uh, Rabbi Eliezer, who represents the older layer of halacha, would not agree to that. Okay, so we actually uh, can figure out a good reason why Rabbi Eliezer said, um, what he said, and it's not because of Ho'il, um, but, um, uh, but the rabbis obviously like to try to correlate the ideas together and see, show principles that are linked uh, throughout. Okay, so that's very interesting. And now we get to the question of what is the biggest dough, uh, amount of dough that's manageable uh, to cook, uh, to bake on Pesach itself, um, and not be too unwieldy that it will become chametz. If it's too big, you can't possibly knead the whole thing at the, at the same time, and you can't put it in the oven quickly enough. And so um, this is the uh, upper limit to how much you could do. Um, here, Tanya, Rabbi Omer. Oh, wait, before we get to that, uh, who is halacha like? Rabbi Omer halacha ke Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yitzhak Omer, Amad halacha ke ben betera. Okay, good. So we forgot about ben betera. He said, just put it in cold water and it'll stay It'll stay unleavened until after Yom Tov and then you can burn it after Yom Tov. All right, so machloket about what the, what the halacha lamasa is going to be. Okay, kamashi or isa. How big is a dough that will be manageable? Rabbi Yishmael beno shel Rabbi Yochanan ben Beroka Omer. Regarding wheat, wheat is going to leaven a bit more quickly. And so only two kav of wheat should you bake at a time. Uh, barley takes a little longer, so you can manage a, a three kabin. He says, no, the opposite. Uh, wheat should, yeah, you could uh, do three kabin, and barley is the one that uh, leavens more quickly and only two. Good. Now, a question on the first opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. We see something else. He says, Here he said two and three, but in another place he says three and four kabin for wheat and barley. So, which seems to contradict himself. No, this one here is talking about low grade, low quality grain, which does not leaven very quickly. And therefore you can handle more. Whereas this upper statement here was talking about high quality grain, which uh, will uh, 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 leaven more quickly. Um, the, the quality is how much chaff it has in it. Uh, so the, the, the more refined it is, the more um, just gluten it will have, which will make it rise more quickly. Okay, so to summarize, uh, we had wheat two, barley three. The Benatan says the opposite. Rabbi Yishuel says, Rabbi Yishmael says again, that was only two and three was talking about high grade, low grade is three and four. Now we're gonna talk about the ratio between them. You see that wheat is gonna be 
uh, 50% more uh, in, in low grade than, than high grade, whereas barley is uh, right 33% more, or you could say a quarter of the total uh, less. Um, so it, that's interesting that the ratios are in fact different. That's the Papa's point. I get it the extent to which low quality is worse than high quality wheat is more than the extent to which low quality barley is worse than high quality barley because over there it's only a third of the total that you can use for low low quality right uh, a third um, of, a, of three is one, so take away a third and you get two. Whereas regarding barley, um, it's the, the difference is not as much because from four to three is only a quarter of the total four. All right, good. Now, Amarav, Chaba melogna'a lefischa vechen lechala. Rav disagrees with all of these. These were, you know, two kav or three kav. And he says, no, it's one kav of the, from that they use, the kind of measurement that they use in this place called melogna. Melogna, some think that uh, Rabbi, uh, that Choni HaMe'agel, the famous sage who was known for drawing a circle around himself, um, that the Me'agel, you know, was he called that when he was born, before he drew a circle around himself and demanded rain? Probably not. So that's actually a, uh, a play on words. He was called Choni from Melogna. And then after he um, would draw circles around himself, um, that uh, turned into a, a play on words at Choni HaMe'agel. Anyway, so it could be that he was from this place. Uh, in this place, they had um, a certain measurement and of, of a cab. And Rav says, that is the amount, the max amount you should bake on Pesach. And that's also the minimum amount that you need to uh, be required to take challah. Okay. Um, now, hold on. Is that true? Some say it should be tenan here. Uh, so that we have another place where it says five quarters of um, five quarters of a cab is uh, is and, and a little more. That's chayvin bekalab. So he said one kav, and here he says five, says five fourths of a kav. So which one is it? Oh, it's actually the same. They had bigger measurements. So one kav from this place is the same as five quarters of a kav from everywhere else. Amar of Yosef, Okay, in order not to get to the maximum, he says, Rav Yosef says, our woman would uh, bake three quarters of a log at a time, um, a much smaller amount, so that it would be easier to handle. Says, you think that's a good idea? You're being machmir by making a small batch at a time? Yeah, but every chumrah has the has a kula on the other on the other side of the coin. And here, because, because you're making small amounts at a time, you're not gonna give hala. Uh, and so you're kind of uh, using a loophole to not give uh, to not to not fulfill the mitzvah of hala. No, we do give hala because we follow the principle of Abeliezer. This is a Mishnah. 
Beseyet says Etanya. So some people correct it to Ditnan. Anyway, the Eliezer says, um, someone who is um, baking and puts them, after they're finished baking, puts them, gathers all the loaves into a basket. The basket joins them together to be the measurement of a challah. So even though if I'm only baking a little bit at a time, let's say I have just a little oven, right? Baking a little at a time. Once I gather everything in a basket, once and it becomes the sufficient minimum, then I do bring challah. And that's what we do. So although we're using a much smaller amount, we're putting them all in the same basket. We find that we do that the halacha. Good. So we're not, don't worry, we're not uh, uh, skimping out on the challah. We're going to, we're doing challah also, and also being careful not to have big dough uh, so we don't violate chametz. Hold on, we said about that, that you can only follow this basket rule and join them together if they are Babylonian loaves. Babylonian loaves are like our rolls that sometimes you buy and they're all stuck together and you got to kind of see, uh, separate them. And, but, you know, if you didn't separate them, if you pull one, uh, they would uh, go along. So these called, they bite each other, right? They bake into each other. That's only the Babylonian rolls that they can join together when they're in, a, they're in the basket. But if they are like these long uh, rod-like loaves that are separate, then you don't apply that principle. So how could you follow that, that Rabbi Eliezer's principle? As we can. The disagreed with Rabbi Yosheba He says, yes, you can do it. Even the separate loaves, it's fine. And they all will be required to have challah. Good. We said if you put them all in the basket, then they do join together to make the uh, the minimum requirement of challah. Well, what if it's not a basket, but a board that has no rim? Um, so would that also be okay? The word rim, it comes from Greek, uh, labis, uh, which I wonder if is the same as the word lip. Uh, B and P are interchangeable. Anyway, if it's just a board, is it, does it have to actually contain something or just being together on a board would be sufficient? Is it to have to be inside a vessel? Then that's why. Or as long as they're sharing the same airspace, that's sufficient. Take or we leave it as an open question. So three different opinions um, that about if you uh, are baking dough, uh, dough separately, how, uh, how to join them together. Uh, Rabbi Eliezer says if the, once they're finished baking, if you put them in the same basket, they nevertheless will be obligated to separate challah. Rabbi says if they're all in the oven together, even though you prepared the dough separately, then that the being in the oven together will join them will join. The Bishamon Begam says, um, if they're like the Babylonian loaves that are stuck to each other, those also join together. Okay, so that's um, uh, the end, uh, right? So that's combining loaves for Chala. And now we're going to have two more Mishnayot today. The next one uh, is about three, a three-woman assembly line. Uh, this is some good advice to how to, uh, how to, how to bake, uh, bake Masot together um, when you have a lot of people and yet only one oven. Uh, we'll see some different opinions. Um, okay, let's just um, jump into that. Rabban Gamaliel omesh shalosh nashim lashot ke'ahat ve'ofot betanur ehad 
The three women, they all want to make uh, bake their own uh, masot at the same time. The Bangamil says that's fine. They can all start off and start kneading and then shaping the dough. And now only one of their, assuming they're making a batch that only one of their uh, batches will fit in the oven at once. So one woman will put hers, her, her, hers in, the, in the oven. It will bake. And the other ones are just waiting around. And then when she's done, the second one will put in the oven and the third and one of them was still waiting around. And he says, that's okay. In other words, three would be the max. Uh, so let's assume how long does it take to uh, bake a masa? David, you've done it about five minutes. I would guess five minutes. Okay, so let's say five minutes. So that's and fine, right? The first one goes in right away. The last one is waiting around for 10 minutes. That's okay. It's still less than 18 minutes. Okay, obviously, it's going to depend on how hot the oven is, how thick the dough is. It's going to depend on a lot of things. But uh, he's saying, among them, on average, this would be just fine. So the sages say, uh, no, make an assembly line, right? If you have three, so let one start doing the, the kneading. When she's done kneading, uh, then uh, the next one can start kneading and, uh, and the first one will start making the dough. Um, then when she's done, the first one will put it in the oven. The second one will start, make, will start forming the loaves. And then the last uh, woman will start kneading. Um, and that way, you, uh, every batch is going directly into the oven as soon as they are ready. And they can repeat. And Bekiba says, you can't make a rule. Every, uh, every woman, it depends on uh, the woman, how fast they work, um, how, how, what, how, what kind of trees there are, uh, the, 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 the fuel, some is hotter, some is colder, some ovens are hotter and colder. And so you can't, there's no way to uh, give one blanket rule. Um, you know, it could be that you'd have more could do it at the same time, less could do it at the same time. It all depends on the circumstances. So rather, all you, all you have to do is look at the dough if it begins to rise, then put cold, spread cold water on it, and that'll stop it. And as long as you keep doing that, you can make sure you won't have chametz. All right, that's uh, three opinions in the Mishnah. I mean, the third opinion is really like, don't have a rule, right? Just a, a, a rule of thumb. Just look at, look, at, look at it and make sure it doesn't rise. Tenora banan lasha. Okay, this is going to explain the assembly line a little bit further. Uh, so the, the, woman, the woman is kneading first. She finishes her kneading and she starts arranging her dough. And then the second woman will start kneading. Mekatefet, uh, she's done uh, forming the, the loaf. So she will uh, bake put it in the oven, and then the one who was kneading will now form the dough. And the third one will start baking, will start kneading. And you keep doing that and go round and round. And this is very good because as long as you are dealing with the dough, as long as you're handling it, it's not going to become leaven. So, um, you know, even if they're slow, uh, and uh, they're taking a, taking a lot of time to knead it, that's fine. It won't leaven as long as it's, as it's not sitting around um, uh, unattended. Rabbi Akiba Omer lo kol hanashim, Tanya, Amar Rabbi Akiba, Danti lefne Rabban Gamliel, right? Rabban Gamliel, remember, is the one that said, all three could do it at the same time. Each stage, all three will knead at the same time, and then all three will form the dough, and then, then two of them will wait around. 
So the Bekiba kind of uh, 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 questioned and discussed this with Rabban Gamaliel. He says, Teach us, Master, Yilamdenu Rabenu, Benashim Zirizot, or Benashim Shen Zirizot, Basim Lachim, or Basim Yebeshim, Betanur Ham, or Betanur Sonen. Amali, Enlecha Ela Masha Shanukhamim, Zekelal, Tafach, Tiltosh Basonen. He says, Rabban Gamaliel, I want to know exactly what you mean by having the three women. Are they, are they, are they very uh, diligent, steadfast, and uh, are, are, are quick, or are they slow? Is it uh, um, a, a moist wood, which is, burns cool, or dry wood that burns hot? Is it very hot oven or a cool oven? Like, well, what are their criteria? He said, there are, the only criteria is make sure it doesn't become hametz. And if it's beginning to rise, then put cold water. So Rabban Gamaliel is actually also, in the name of Rabban Rabbi Akiva is saying his non-principle also in the name of Rabban Gamaliel. Rabban Gamaliel was giving a general average, uh, but uh, if you, uh, you know, look into the matter, uh, the actual circumstances, Rabbi Akiva says, um, it could be different. It could be more or it could be less. All right. And uh, last Mishnah, we're going to be discussing the different stages of leavening. We actually quoted this Mishnah a few days ago uh, regarding something called Si'ur. Uh, si'ur is not to be confused with Se'or. Se'or is, uh, is sourdough leavening agent. Si'ur uh, means that something that began to leaven, but not yet finished. It's in the middle, in the, within the process. And the question is, how far along the process of leavening is con- actually considered prohibited and then prohibited with karet? That's the question. Uh, so we're going to see the Mishnah is going to quote Rabbi Yehuda and, and the sages. Rabbi Yehuda is lenient. The sages are stringent. And then we're going to quote a Baraita that has Rabbi Meir being stringent and the sages being lenient. So this is quite interesting when you have the sages quoting the Mishnah, Chachamim, being stringent and the Baraita being lenient. We'll, we'll try to figure out why that is. Si'ur Yisaref. Si'ur is the first stage when it begins to leaven, has to be burnt. But if you did eat it at that stage, no punishment. Siduk yisaref. Siduk, which means cracking, that starts to crack, then also you have to burn it. And at that point, um, if someone who eats it is liable to karet. So siduk means it's already fully hametz. Now, what are, what are these stages? How do we define these stages? If it begins to crack, um, like antennas of a locust, right? So that there's that certain size and you see a bunch of cracks, um, then um, that's called si'ur. Uh, once the cracks get bigger and intertwined, intermingled, that's when it becomes fully chametz and you be chayav karet, which means according to the biyuda, he's rather lenient. Even if, even if you start having lots of cracks, I mean, a few cracks, then you don't get karet yet, right? So he tolerates some cracks. There's no either of these stages, any cracks at all, whether a few cracks or intermingled cracks, both of those are considered fully chametz. Those are both um, a siduk and those who get karet. What is the, the first level of siur that you're not quite, not yet liable to karet? That's when uh, the, uh, the top of it becomes pale. It starts drying out. It becomes pale, like a person whose hair stands on end 
because he's afraid. I've never actually seen someone's hair stand on end except in cartoons, but it must be based on something because they didn't have cartoons and they still had this expression. Anyway, someone who's so pale, right? The, uh, if, they, if you see that, that's the first stage at which you already, you have to burn it. You can't make the, you can't, cannot make it into kosher matzah anymore. Um, but uh, if you eat it, it's, um, it's not yet, uh, it's not yet karet. Okay, so that's the sages who you see are more stringent. They say only if it becomes pale, then no karet. But any cracks that start, uh, that's already karet. Um, good. Tenor banana. We have the Braita that has a bit of a different, uh, uh, a bit of a different combination. Okay, that's uh, the, the opinion of the Chachamim in the Mishnah. Um, so just siur means if it became just pale, then no karet yet. Sidu gabim um, and sidu uh, cracking is uh, just the beginning of cracking, just uh, antenna lines. Um, that is the opinion of the Bimeir. So we see the Bimeir is the same as the Chachamim in the Mishnah. That is actually typical, right? Very often we say a stam mishnah is Rabbi Meir. Although it's not a stam mishnah, it's chachamim, was like kind of even stronger than a stam mishnah. Okay, so that's the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who was stringent. And then the Braita quotes chachamim omerim, ezehu siur kekarnecha gabim. Siduk shenit arabu sedakim ze baze. So they say that siur, the first level, is not that it's not karet. That's when you already have a few lines, and then siduk, when you do have karet, that's when the lines intermingle. So you see, that's the lenient opinion. Good. And now we um, end off with the statement zeva ze halchlo chayav karet. Either one, both of these criteria, uh, either a few cracks or many cracks, someone who eats it is chayav karet. Now that's strange because this last line doesn't fit well with, with Chachamim just now, right? This line seems to uh, fit better with Rabbi Meir, which is exactly what we're going to say now. All right, so we said in the Mishnah, the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, let's just look here, right? Rabbi Yehuda was one that's lenient. And, um, and that is uh, similar to Chachamim here. And uh, yet you're going to say, um, and he said, uh, if you eat it, patur. And that would be the same as the sages here. So how could you say either one is Chayav when you just said that one of them would be patur? So rather the last line must be actually modifying to be Meir. Um, and that would make sense because um, karet, right? And uh, over here it is in fact, Chachamim that say that phrase, and Chachamim is the same as Rabbi Meir. Okay, good. So we clarify that. And last point, Amar Rava, my Tamad Rabbi Meir, and Lecha Kol Sedek Vasedek Milamala, She'en Lo Kama Sedekim Milamata. The reason Rabbi Meir is is stringent and says even if you have a few lines, you already consider it Hametz, um, is because it's impossible to have a few lines on top without there being many more lines underneath, many more cracks. Um, and so he agrees that essentially chametz is defined as when you have many intermingled cracks, but even a few cracks on the top uh, is evidence of intermingled cracks within the dough. And that's why he is uh, stringent. Um, good. So just a theory about what happened here. How, does, how do the sages, how are the sages stringent here and lenient in the baraita? 
it seems to be that uh, the Mishnah and the Baraita have a machloket between themselves about which one should be halacha lemaaseh. So the Mishnah thinks that we should be stringent halacha lemaaseh. So the Biudah Nasi took the opinion of Rabbi Meir, the minority opinion of Rabbi Meir, and presented it as chachamim in order to indicate that that is the halacha lemaaseh. Whereas the Baraita seemed to want to say that halacha should be lenient and therefore took Rabbi Yudah's opinion and, um, and presented as hachamim to be the lenient one. Originally, it was two opinions, Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Meir. What do all the other sages say? I don't know. We don't have record of it. Right? Saying hachamim say this is, uh, is the equivalent of putting a marker that this should be the halacha lemaaseh. And that is the end of this Mishnah. Tomorrow again, we begin the next one. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.